Picture a youth sports coach you know, someone coaching elementary school kids, someone responsible for developing skills, molding young minds, and being a mentor. Now imagine that person, 20 years from now, being a head coach of an NBA team, and envision that same person along the way having coaching stops in junior high, high school, and college, all in sequential order. Does that sound plausible to you in today's day and age? Maybe. Okay, now imagine that same person becoming one of the most recognizable people in all of sports, only not for coaching. My guest on the Sports Mentoring Project this week is someone whose dreams came true, only to be shattered when he was fired from the Detroit Pistons after 92 games, and then had the most amazing comeback story at ESPN. Another dream that's lasted 42 seasons. His mom called him Richie, but you know him as Dickie V, the legendary and incomparable Dick Vitale. He's the exuberant and passionate basketball analyst on ESPN, and he's awesome, baby. But in this episode, we see another side of him, the fighter. He's leading the fight to eradicate cancer. And you can be part of that fight at dickvital.com. I've had some amazing guests on this podcast. I'm so grateful for the lessons they shared about mentorship and for the inspiration they've given me. And I expected nothing less from Dickie V. But in this episode, thankfully, I got much more than I bargained for. And so will you. Welcome to the Sports Mentoring Project. Dick Vital. how are you? I'm doing really fine. Just really uh, excited about the fact that we just had my gala raised over $6.5 million for kids battling cancer. So I'm very enthused about that. It's incredible. You're setting such a wonderful example and raising so much money for such a great cause. And we're going to get into that in just a moment. We look forward to talking to you more about that. We'll start off with the same questions I asked all my guests, Dick. Who was or is your greatest mentor? My greatest mentor are my parents, my mom and dad. They gave me great inspiration. I mean, I lost my eye as a kid and I thought it was the end of the world. And my mother and father kept saying to me, and my parents were not educated, fifth grade, maybe, and had a doctorate of love, though, and taught me that uh, in this world, uh, never to believe in can't and to chase my dreams and goals. So there's no doubt about it, my mom and dad. If mom and dad were here with us right now, what would you say to them? I'd say, I love you so much and thank you so much for guiding me, directing me, making me believe and making me realize that I can chase my dreams. And I'd only wish that they were here. I only wish they were here to share in all the things that have happened in my life. What were your parents' superpowers? Inspiration, work ethic, passion, pride, family. I learned more at my dinner table than any class I ever took. I learned about love. I learned about family. I learned about tough times. I learned about adversity. I learned about work ethic. My dad worked in a factory, pressed coats, pressed coats, a real place, just unbelievably hot. And I'm telling you, he got paid by the number of coats he pressed. And the morning pressed, he got paid by piecework. It was unreal. He'd come home drenched, sweat like you can't believe every day. Then put on a security guard uniform on, have dinner with us, and then go walk the mall from like, I don't know, 7 to 12 or 7 to 11. But that was his existence. And it taught me so much about work ethic and taught me about love for family. Family was always number one with my mom and dad. 
what two great role models. So what is your superpower? My power, I really, I just try to live each day to its fullest. I try to have a sense of passion and pride. People always seem to uh, uh, compliment me about enthusiasm and energy. I never could really understand that because I thought everybody has that. You know, I, I just try to enjoy every moment. I mean, I may be going to be 82 years old on June 9th, and I've tried to live every day to its fullest. And I try to, you know, adopt to my parents, taught me a philosophy that I believe in so much. When I spoke at my gala last week, I shared this, and the crowd reacted in a very positive manner, a sellout crowd. I said, you know, this room, the room we're in today is filled with so much love. I wish our nation could have the love that's being generated out of this room by all people. We have people there, you know, black, white, rich, poor, you name them, Catholic, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, whatever. And I said, you could feel the love. And what I learned in my family was, number one, my mom used to always say to me, Richie, that was Dick Richie, make sure you treat people like you want to be treated. And I've tried to do that. And think about that. Equate that. If we all in this nation would treat people like we want to be treated, we wouldn't have this hate that exists. We'd have more love among all of us. And it just really disturbs me, bothers me, tremendously that there's not more love. Well, love is at the center of mentoring. So who would you say are some of your greatest mentees, people you've mentored? You know, who I've mentored, I, you know, obviously teaching in school. I like to think I mentored a lot of elementary school kids. A lot of people don't know. And I did that for about 10 years uh, in chase of my coaching dreams. And I coached on a high school level, but I used to love teaching elementary school. I used to love trying to motivate, try to inspire, try to mentor kids about chasing their goals and dreams. So I would say, you know, those are some scenarios and certainly players I coached. I still keep in contact with many of them. And, you know, we shared a lot of great moments. We won back-to-back state champions in, uh, in New Jersey, and I still stay in touch. In fact, I took a bunch of my former players with me for a weekend at Notre Dame because I go there regularly for football weekends. We have eight degrees in my family from the university and a football weekend is so special. So I reached out to several of my players. There was five of them. And I said, I'm going to bring you guys to Florida. And then we're going to go on a private plane to South Bend. We're going to spend Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, then come back Sunday. And we did it. And it was the greatest moment. The stories they shared about the way I reacted with them. We're talking years ago. And we won those state championships in 60, uh, 69, 70. And so it's a long, long time. But, boy, the memories are great. It was great to know that they all basically said, you know, you really treated us like we were your sons, man. And I'd like to think, you know, I've done some of that. I, same thing when my team was honored at the University of Detroit about two, three years ago having the best record after a 40-year reunion. Uh, we had the best record in the history of the university. Went to Sweet 16, first time the school ever did that. We went to an NCAA tournament, obviously. And the player, we had won 21 games in a row, and many and all my players were there. And when I got done, my wife says to me, oh, my God, every player talked to me like, like you were like a father figure. I said, but isn't that what coaching really is? You're giving them guidance, you're giving them direction, you're spending so much time with them, discipline. And so I, I like to think I took coaching very serious. That term meant a lot to me. So I really uh, believe that you're more than just a guy putting X's and O's and winning basketball games. You're trying to win in the game of life. 
What are some of the qualities every great mentor and mentee have? Well, you know, I think number one, they're going to have a certain passion. You got to be passionate about what you're doing. I often, I do a lot of motivational speaking. I've been with the Washington Speakers Group for over uh, three decades, and they've booked me all over in terms of corporate groups, athletic groups, you name them. And I've been there probably. But the bottom line is, I found out in the people I meet that are super successful, they have a tremendous passion about what they're doing. They love what they're doing. So I constantly recommend to young people find something you love. Don't let the dollars get in the way of making your decision. Make that decision based on something you want to do and then go out and chase it. And if you're successful, the dollars will come. Thank you for that overview. And I, I want to start with the game of basketball and you fell in love with the game as a boy and then you fell in love with teaching the game what was it about basketball that drew you to it well you know the competition uh putting people out there like playing the chess game uh i love the spirit of the game the excitement the pace of the game i was really a a sports fanatic to be honest with you Uh, when i got out of seton hall university i took my first job i had majored in business and I got a job in the accounting office for this company in Patterson, New Jersey. I was bored out of my mind. Oh, my God. I'd look at the clock every day, and I'd see all these guys that have been there for years, and they're doing the same trial balances and all this. Look at the clock at five. Can't wait to get out. Well, during that time period, I was coaching an amateur baseball team, a bunch of young athletes between the ages of 16 and 19. And they were the best players I went out and recruited in our county, in Bergen County, New Jersey. And we ended up with a terrific team. That team became so good. We won the state championship. We won, oh God, the regional. And we went out and played in the national tournament in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. But along the way, during that period of time, we played out in the area in Garfield, New Jersey, And one of our fans was an administrator in education within the city. And he came up to me and he said, you know what? Richie was never Dick Richie. I love your enthusiasm out there and your energy. Have you ever thought about teaching? I said, well, I don't have a teaching degree. You know, I have a business degree. I'm working now in business. He said, that's immaterial. He said, I can hire you. I can hire you in elementary school, teach, and you coach baseball, basketball, football, junior high teams. And you have a ball doing it. In the meantime, you go and you get your certification. You get what's called a, a, a provisional certificate. And you go out and, and I was enthralled by it. I said, you know what? I think I'd like to do that. And I went, I took my big check of $4,500 to be cut from where I was. I said, I didn't care about the $4,500. I went out and I coached the junior. I didn't know anything about football. I didn't know about split tees, wing tees. I just tell the team, the players, this was behind me. Well, you know, after they got older, they say, Coach, you always say, I don't care about these wing tees, split tees. I care about one thing. See the number on our scoreboard? If they got six, we better get seven. And somehow, somehow we did. We didn't lose a game in the two years I coached football, junior high football. And then I decided – I was doing baseball. I decided that the only way to get really ahead, if you want to get ahead to be a college coach in baseball or in football or a professional level, you either got to be a former player somehow, somewhere. Not maybe the greatest player, but you got to be maybe a, a, a good college player, a good minor league player, or you're not going to get a job. You're just not going to get it. I don't care. It's who you are. So I 
research. I found a basketball that didn't exist. Basketball, you can go out and you can get a job based on what you do as a high school coach, et cetera. And that's what happened. I went out and I specialized. I went to clinics galore. I went trying to learn as much as I could. There's so much you can learn about the X's and O's of the game. There's no, there's no reason for any coach. And I know many of them do know the X's and O's. But the key is certain coaches who are very successful, they get their players to respond to the concepts they're teaching. Now, everybody knows about your pressure the ball. If you want to play pressure defense, you deny on a wings, you block out, you do those. But who gets it done? Who communicates? The art of communication is the key in anything in life, whether it be the corporate world, the legal world, education, whatever we're talking, communication is vital. And I, I, I thought that that was one of my strengths. I was always able to communicate my concepts and theories. And I've tried to do that in 42 years on TV. And it's it must work. I don't know, because I go to my office and I pinch myself every day when I go to my office in my home here and I look at the wall, and I see all these Hall of Fame trophies, and Hall of Fame, uh, ba- uh, you know, banners and all this stuff. I pinch myself because, you know, I always tell people I could run. I couldn't jump. I couldn't shoot. I got a body by uh, ravioli, <laughs> lasagna or whatever you want to talk about. And yet I'm in all these Hall of Fames because all my life. I've always had a passion and sense of pride. I tell people right now, I'm, I'm 82. I'll match my energy with a 25-year-old. I mean, if they want to try to go at me head on with that, I'll, I'll take a contest with them because I really believe in life. I've been able to adopt to my mom and dad's philosophy of life. Live it to its fullest every day, every day. I'm really so sad that my mom and dad were not part of any of those Hall of Fame inductions whether it be the Basketball Hall of Fame, the College Basketball Hall of Fame, the Broadcasting Hall of Fame, Lifetime Achievement Award, which shook me up big time. I told ESPN initially when Josh Krulowitz, the vice president, called me up. I said, I don't deserve that. I don't deserve it. kidding me? My name on there with those greats? I mean, with Lifetime Achievement and Broadcasting, you're looking at names like Howard Cosell. You're looking at Keith Jackson. You're looking at these giants, Kurt Gowdy. I mean, Vince Scully. How's Dick Vitale belong with that? I'm just a jock that came out of a locker room and they gave me a mic and they said, talk about the game you love. And when I got that award, I found out later, there's only two people on that list that were not what we call play-by-play people. And it was myself and John Madden. And to be anywhere with John Madden is just a great thrill for me in itself. But you know, I, I've been very blessed. I've been very lucky. i got a beautiful wife. Uh, we're going to be celebrating on Saturday our 50th anniversary. In fact, prior to you coming on with me here, uh, I got a text message from my daughters setting up a big dinner for us at this beautiful restaurant in Sarasota, Cafe La Rope. We're going to be going there Saturday night in 50 years. I, I believe in stability. I believe in loyalty. My wife and I have been together 50 years. I've been at ESPN now going on my 43rd year. I've been with the Washington Speakers Bureau for over three decades. I've been with uh, my guy, Sandy Montag, uh, who now has his own Montag group, uh, but before it was with IMG. And I've been with him and Susan Lipton, who uh, does a lot of my work. I've been with them for like 30, 40 years. So I, I, I believe in that. I believe in stability and I like it. And I enjoy it. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people want to chase the gold, always chasing gold here and there. I did it one time and it backfired on me, backfired big time. I allowed money to get in my way and that was taking a professional job and coaching 
when I thought I could change things. And it's not that easy to change when you get to the NBA because you're locked into contracts and things of that nature. You know, you really don't see a, a career like yours anymore. You coached at every level in sequential order. You were saying from elementary school to junior high school to high school to college to the NBA. What advice do you have for the hoop dreamers out there who are you know, shaping the careers and the, the minds of young basketball players today? Well, you know, John, you make an interesting point. Someone brought that up for me about two weeks ago. And they pointed out to me the fact that you were in a seventh, sixth grade teaching. I mean, I mean, itself, think about this. 1970, I'm teaching the sixth grade and I'm coaching in high school. In seven years, I went from sixth grade teacher, high school coach, to be an assistant coach at Rutgers University, to be a head coach at University of Detroit. And then a lot of people don't know this. I was the youngest athletic director in the whole nation and coach. Uh, University of Detroit made me an athletic director. And that was a way of trying to make it exciting since they didn't have football to maybe keep me away from looking at other bigger and bigger schools. And uh, so they made me an athletic director and the coach. Then I go immediately to the NBA, head coach of the Pistons. This happened within a seven, eight-year period of time. And that's why it was really, it was shocking to me when I got fired, it was a blow. I was totally depressed. I don't talk about it often, but I was sitting home, a lot of tears and a lot of feeling sorry for myself until my wife stepped up and she took charge of me. And John, she she encouraged me to understand, you know, the first guy going to be fired, you're not the last guy. And I really created my own firing, to be honest with you. The owner was terrific to me. Mr. Davidson, I couldn't ask for a better owner uh, in terms of, he would constantly always say to me, say, Dick, you want to win today. We know it's going to take five years. So I'd say to him, you know, I could coach till I'm blue in the face. I'd say, Mr. Davidson, I, we, we can't beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the Lakers. We can't beat Dr. J, Moses Malone in the Sixers. And I, it's, it's frustrating to me, I said, because all my life, as you mentioned, everywhere I've been, when I coached in junior high, we won. I coached in high school, we won. I went to college at Rutgers. We recruited Dick and I, Lloyd. We recruited the best class in maybe the country that year, but certainly in the East. And that team went to the Final Four. A lot of people don't realize in 1976, the Final Four was Indiana with the shy, introverted Robert Montgomery Knight. They went undefeated, the last <laughs> unbeaten team. And then also, there was UCLA, and there was Michigan, and the fourth school was Rutgers with the kids we recruited. Phil Sellers, my Dabney, like Michael's coming to visit me here in about another three weeks. But the, but the situation was, you know, I, I, that all just blew my mind when I sit when, you, when I sit and think about those days sitting in the classroom. And I got some great advice also at that time from my mother. I'll never forget this uh, when I was chasing the dream. I came home one day and she says, I don't see any more Richie in our Italian way. Richie, I don't see any more of that spirit. That, 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 she used to call it spirit instead of enthusiasm. I don't see that spirit in you. What's wrong? I said, my friends, my friends are right and I'm wrong. I said, I'm sending letters to all these colleges after we won state championships. I'm sending letters. I'm getting more and more rejections than the dean of Harvard gives out. My guy, Howard Garfield, used to use that saying. But I was getting so many rejections, you know. We're sorry. We believe our staff. We're sorry. And I wasn't 
shooting for the moon. I was playing like Carolinas and Dukes and those kind of schools, Kentuckys, a lot of local Eastern schools. I couldn't even get an interview. And then all of a sudden she sat me down and she said, Richie, listen to me. Listen, I'll never forget this conversation on an account. Listen to me. And she gets raised her voice, looked at me. Don't listen to those people. Don't listen to them. Richie, you got something they can't hold back. You got so much spirit. Like I said, she never said anything. You got so much spirit. Don't let them knock that spirit out of you. Keep chasing that dream you have. My God. I felt like a million dollars when I left that room. I felt that, boy, somebody really cares. I, uh, I get choked up a lot when I talk about my mom and dad. I, uh, I start every day. If you came in my bedroom, there's a, uh, it's uh, Rick Riley did a major story on me in Sports Illustrated. And he said, I'm going to do a story, but I want to follow you around. And I want everything you do. I'm going to be with you a few days. So, well, if you're going to follow me around, you want everything I do, I'll tell you what I do to start every day. <clears throat> in my bedroom is a giant picture of me sitting on my mom and dad's lap as a probably four-year-old kid, three, four-year-old kid. And I start the day every day with a prayer to them and thanking them for giving me the guidance, direction, the family feeling, and to chase my dreams. And I finish the day with the same thing of prayer that I'm thanking them every day. Because without them, without their guidance and direction, there'd be no Dickie V, there'd be none of this. That's happened in my life. My life has exceeded any dream I can ever have. I mean, financially and every other way. I mean, come on, I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd get paid some of the dollars I get paid to speak, to do commercials to do games, work at ESPN. I always tease them all the time. So they've really got all these brilliant guys, brilliant guys. In fact, when my daughter got married, all the big shots at ESPN were there at the big wedding. And I got the microphone and I said, you know what? We got a lot of intelligent people here. They go to these great universities. They're going to be Ivy League, Stanford's, Notre Dame's, whatever. I bet they're dumb. My God, they pay me to do games. I'd probably do them for nothing to sit in the best seat in the house. But I like the check that comes in. But I, I, I've been so blessed, John. I really have been. And I've lived a great family. I got, Like I said, I, I got two girls. They both went to Notre Dame. They got their master's there. I couldn't even spell Notre Dame. I was so dumb. Um, my my son-in-law is both the Notre Dame grads. One is a judge here in Sarasota. He played quarterback for Notre Dame in the mid-90s. Uh, in the Orange Bowl, he threw three or four touchdown passes. They lost a the heartbreaker, but he got hurt, had a neck injury, couldn't play football anymore. Who's that? He put, he put his attention to law. This is your son-in-law? Yeah, my son-in-law, yeah. And my other son-in-law, uh, first time I met him, he told me he was going to be a doctor, a surgeon. And I kind of laughed because I knew he was really taking all kinds of loans to pay his college education in Notre Dame. But there was something about him. You couldn't hold him back. And today, he has one of the biggest practices here in our area in terms of uh, orthopedics. He went and did a fellowship. He's a hand, shoulder, elbow surgeon. And he has in his office, he's had since he started this partnership, he has one guy does the knees, one guy does the hips, one guy does the back. He does the, and he does all the athletes at IMG Academy. And so I've lived a 
a great life and have given me five great grandkids, uh, which I'm so proud of as well. My, I have a granddaughter right now. She's coming home tomorrow. I can't wait to see her. I haven't seen her for the last six months or so. She's been at Notre Dame as a freshman on the tennis team, and she's coming home tomorrow. She's a straight-A student. So proud of her. She's really a first semester at Notre Dame. She got straight A's, and she's just a great girl, Sydney. And then I have a, a, another, uh, her brother. Her brother is a junior at IMG Academy, and he just got the award for the highest academic average among student athletes there. It's called the Harvard Award. And Ryan is uh, uh, playing lacrosse, and Ryan has already was being recruited by a lot of people. He's committed to Notre Dame as a junior to go there to play lacrosse, and they got one of the great programs in America. And then I have twins who are – I just came back about 10 – before I got on with you, John, came back watching them work out. They play tennis, and both of them are highly rated nationally, and they both committed to Duke. Uh, they broke the family tree to Notre Dame because they wanted to play more outdoor tennis than indoor tennis, and Notre Dame's been recruiting them forever, and I thought there'd be a lock for Notre Dame, but Duke came in, and you know I couldn't argue with their argument. They want to play. They grew up in Florida. They've grown up here in Florida, so I got two. They're going to, to Duke on scholarship playing tennis. And then I got a fifth one. She's in the ninth grade, their sister, Ava, and she's rated right now, I believe. I, I don't know the latest ones, but she's a ninth grader in her age group. She's rated in the, I know the top 10 in the country, but I don't know specifically what number right now, but she's in the top 10 in the country. So she's, barring injury, should have lots and lots of offers as well. So I've, I've been blessed having great, great grandkids. And I like the thing, I like the thing that in a little way, since the time they were born, I kept telling them to chase their goals and dreams. Work hard. I mean, they've come from a different environment than what I grew up financially. But the situation is that doesn't take away about what you're about. You know, the money's one thing, coming your meals, cars, whatever. But the bottom line is they all have an incredible work ethic they're good people. They're not great, great players, but they're good people, and they really, really strive hard to be the best they can be. And that's all anybody can ever ask. And the Vital family has so many connections to college athletics, not the least of which is your connection to college athletics and the kinship you share. And I was a freshman at the University of Maryland in the 1990s, and I vividly recall you getting a standing ovation from the student section at Cold Field House when you walked onto the floor on the way to your headset, and then <laughs> you treated us, I don't know if you remember this, you treated us to four three-pointers in a row. Can you talk about you know, this relationship you have with college yeah. students? Why do they love you so much? I just, I, I've always tried to feel, you know, like just one of the regular guys. And, and you know, someone like to tease me, you know, oh, he likes Duke. Oh, come on, Dukey. He likes Duke. I, you know, I like good basketball, whether it be Maryland, Duke, or Maryland had Dixon and those guys. I love them. I love watching great basketball. And people associate me a lot of times I'll hear Duke because I do a lot of Duke games because they're one of the most popular teams on TV. People either love them or hate them, but they want to see them. And the same with, you know, you get the professionally, the Yankees fall in that category, go to name in football. But I, I, I've always had a great relationship with young people, John. I've never had a problem, even today at my age. Uh, this morning, I was having breakfast at the first watch and talk about inspiration. A, a mother comes over to get a picture with her daughter, a little girl, 
girl was five years old. Her name was uh, Riley. The, the mother's name was Rebecca. I remember vividly. Father's name was Chris. Beautiful family. And I had no idea who they were. So, you know, I asked for an autograph. I signed an autograph book for the little girl, all this jazz. And I go there a lot of times to raise money. I sell a lot of my merchandise there. Well, I have breakfast at a great place. The first watcher, CEO, president is a very close friend of mine, Chris Tommaso. And so I, I'm there. And then she tells me, she says to me, you know, uh, I do a lot of speaking as well. I said, well, that's great. What are you doing? Love inspiration. And then she pulled up her slack. She had her leg amputated. She was hit with a bomb at the Boston Marathon bombing scenario. And she lost her leg. And she told me then how many, how many surgeries she had. But her spirit just, I wrote about her on Facebook today, on my Facebook account, because I was so touched by her spirit, her smile, her excitement for life. She has a beautiful daughter now. She's got a great husband there. And you can see the love among all three. And she didn't allow this to pull her down, didn't fill it with hate, didn't fill it with all that. And she said, you know, she saw people you know, losing their lives. She went through a, lot, a traumatic. And the thing that really hit me at the end, you know, I had them some information of what we do at our V Foundation for Kids Battling Cancer. And she said to me, we have a foundation we do. We deal with young people dealing with traumatic situations. And obviously can't get much more traumatic than what she faced. Again, I mean, she nearly lost her life. I mean, and lost her legs. She says, nothing compared to what others went through. She had such a great attitude. And I just love it. You know what brought me to thinking? It's amazing, John. When I do my gala, we have a bunch of cancer kids with us. I names mean nothing. You mean a lot to me. Like Joshua Fisher, 12 years old, does 1,200 doses of chemotherapy. Weston Herman. Weston Herman's in his fourth battle at 14 with brain cancer, doing 52 weeks of chemo. And I talk about these kids because I don't just get to meet them one time. I've, I've gotten to know their families, know them. I visit a bunch of kids in hospitals. Anyway, the bottom line is, what they go through, there's one common denominator. And I said it to her. I said, young Rebecca, you telling me what you're doing to help kids or help people that have traumatic experiences? Let me tell you this. The kids I meet, their parents can't do enough to raise money to help other kids battling cancer. It's unbelievable how once they're touched by that, they know what they've gone through and they don't want people to go through. It's life-changing. I tell everybody, you know, whenever I give my speeches, I'll tell you right now, John, as you and I are doing this today, today, 45 to 50 mothers and fathers, I know all the stats, 45 to 50 mothers and fathers are going home today and they're hearing four words that no mom and dad ever wants to hear. Your child has cancer. It's life changing. When I talk to these families, you know, it's life changing. I got started because of a young girl named Peyton, the neighbor of ours. She ended up losing her life. We watched her in her battle with cancer. We watched her go from this beautiful girl to being blind, to being paralyzed, and then losing her life because of cancer. And when I went to the funeral, my wife and I, I was blown away and touched. I got to know their dad, Patrick, and their mom, Holly, really well. 
when the funeral ended, I went into their car and I got so emotional. It's part of me, I guess. I got so emotional. I ran over and I said, you know what? I'm going to promise you something. In six months, I'm going to raise a million dollars in her name and we're going to help other kids. We can't bring her back, but we're going to help Peyton's, Peyton's name really help other kids. One of the most touching moments I've ever had since I did my gallop, and I, I mentioned this to the crowd the other night, to show them that their dollars work. Because a lot of people wonder, you know, you give money, does it work? Well, about three years ago at my gallop, I'm walking out at the end of the gala on cloud nine. We raised about $4 million. We kept going up each year, but I know I'm happy as hell, thrilled that we're getting this for research for the V, for my buddy Jimmy V's name. And I'm walking out, and this woman says, can I talk to you a minute? I said, sure. I knew she was Mrs. Peters. Her son had brain cancer. So I, I said, uh, what, what can I do? And she, I just wanted to. I get choked up about it because it's so powerful. She said to me, I just want to tell you. I thank you so much for what you for what you do. It's it saved my son's life. I said, come on, you save my son. She said, you save my son's life. I said, I didn't save anybody's life. I'm just trying to get money for reason. I don't know. She said, when when Kyle came down with the brain cancer, we went to all children's hospital. And he's 12 years old. They told us if it weren't for the <clears throat> research grant that was established in Peyton's name to battle brain cancer, Kyle probably wouldn't make it. But now he's going to be cancer-free. Kyle, <clears throat> Kyle was at my gala this year, and he was at my house for a post-gala party, and he spoke to the crowd, and he said, I can't thank enough blow you people that donate. So please listen to Coach and donate and help because you might save someone along the way. We often think about professional athletes being the ones we look to for inspiration and mentorship. And hearing you talk about Peyton and Ryan and others that were touched by the V Foundation. For those of you who don't know, the V Foundation for Cancer Research was founded by ESPN and legendary basketball coach Jim Valvano with one goal in mind, to achieve victory over cancer. It has awarded more than a quarter billion dollars in cancer research. And this month you raised more than $6 million at the Dickie V Gala. Dick, can you talk about your relationship with, with Coach Valvano and the impact he had on your life? Well, you know, Jimmy and I, a lot of people thought we were very close friends. Uh, when he was coaching, we, you know, he was an associate then of mine. And obviously I did some of his games and we got to know each other and we seemed to have a good relationship with each other, but I really got close to Jimmy and his battle with cancer. It was through that battle that we really stayed in touch on a regular basis, communicated, trying to always give him inspiration. And he inspired me. Uh, I will never forget one time I'm at ESPN. <clears throat> it was a Sunday and we're going to work on Monday. So we're in a hotel. And as we're in the hotel, I'm having dinner down there, and he goes up to his room. About an hour, the phone rings, and the girl at the receptionist desk comes over to me and says, uh, Mr. Melvin, said, can you please come up to his room as soon as possible? So I go up there. He's in his shorts, 
and he's punching the wall, actually literally punching the wall, crying, screaming about his pain he's feeling. He said, take your worst toothache and run through your whole body. That's what I feel every day. So you're very emotional about it, but bottom line is he wouldn't take morphine. They wanted to put him on morphine to kill pain, but it was a sign, he said, that you're done, finished. And I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not finished. I'm going to beat this. He kept saying, I'm going to beat this. And he fought and fought, but eventually just, you know, obviously took him and, and at such a young age, he was just heading for such big stardom. I mean, he was in his forties. I mean, top of the world winning a national title, but you know, what's really the greatest as you mentioned, John, I think in life, is really, you know, it's great winning games. It's great doing all that, great memories. But when you could be a factor in people's lives for many, many, many years, as you just said, a quarter of a billion dollars is being utilized in research to battle every cancer that you think of, whether it be lung, prostate, breast, uh, whether it be colon, whatever it is. Mine is all dedicated to the V Foundation for Pediatrics. And we're very proud that we've raised so far since starting the gala, 44 million. I want to go over to 50 million mark next year. And that's my goal. And I'm going to work my butt off to try and make it happen. It's not easy because you're going to the same people all the time, basically. I need new people. Anybody out there listening to John's show here, you can see how well prepared he is. Just please, just go to dickvital.com. You make a donation. It goes right into that pot toward that. I'll need $6 million again next year. And I'm going to tell you, that is not easy to get, especially in a pandemic, especially in a scenario where, you know, you got people unemployed, people not working. I mean, at ESPN, we lost a lot of quality people because the economy due to the pandemic. But we have so many great people there. I know you're friends with Chris LaPlaque, who's a terrific guy, and uh, certainly Josh Kulowitz, Mike Soltis. I mean, I could go on and on, Anna Nevran, all those people in PR have helped me so much. Great president, Jimmy Potaro, nice Italian guy now is the president. I always tease him. George, <laughs> Boden, George Bodenheimer was off the charts. He used to be my driver. You talk about chasing dreams. He wrote about it in his book, how he used to be my driver. He'd come in, it's unbelievable. He's going to have to drive me somewhere for lunch or whatever he's doing, whatever I report to Bristol. And he moan and groan and basically say, you know, where am I going? I got a great degree. I want to be in marketing. I'm working in the mailroom. I'm driving guys like you around. And something about him, John, I knew his guy was a winner. Just by his handshake, his eye contact, his communication ability. And sure enough, this was in 1981 he was trying to be. 15 years later, I am in the airport in Atlanta. And I am stranded because of I don't know, some delay with flights, et cetera. And I pick up USA Today. And I'm looking at it, and the headline says, name the new president of ESPN, George Bodenheimer. I said, holy shit, I can't believe it. That's my driver. That's my driver. So I called his office. And I didn't want to talk to him. I got his voicemail. And I said, I'm going nowhere in my life. Where am I going? I'm driving you around. I said, George, you're the president. Don't forget me. I don't want a new wristwatch for 25 years. I want a new contract, man. And he's taking care of me big time during his tenure. 
Well, and Jimmy does the same. Jimmy's been great to me. I mean, I, I basically, you know, they, they basically told me you work as long as you want to work and that as long as you're physically able. I mean, I would never embarrass the network. And most of all, I would embarrass myself or my family and try to work if I had memory problems, et cetera. But I feel as good now as I ever felt. And I looked at tapes and I'll match, you know, analyzing the game and I would with people as well. I really feel that confident and that, that much of my ability. Now, if I couldn't do that stuff, I wouldn't do it. Nobody's got more hustle than you, Dickie V. And, and I, I've been dying to ask you this question. So you and I are both North Jersey guys. I grew up in Fairlawn. I now live Fairlawn, in Fairlawn, you're right. Wait, wait, wait. Fairlawn, Route 4. You're right up the road from where I grew up in Elmwood Park. Elmwood Park, yeah, that's right. And you were born in Passaic, and you lived and yeah. coached in Elmwood right. Park, Garfield, East Rutherford, Rutgers down in New Brunswick. Right. And you right. attended Seton Hall, William Patterson College. So I have to ask you. The best Italian deli is? Oh, my God. The best Italian deli. I mean, come on. I, there's so many, but I, I can't pick one. We got a lot of great ones here. I'm going to go to Lake Cologne tonight. Lake Cologne right down here is a great Italian place. But, I, you know, I love every night eating Italian food. Last night, last night I ate down this place. Uh, it's uh, right here. Epicure, it's called, Italian place. Mediterranean down here is unbelievable. I mean, my wife will tell you, give me lasagna, give me ravioli, give me some veal, parmesan, give me some chicken. I could eat that every day. And you know what? When you look at me, probably do. <laughs> Looks like it. <laughs> Go, going back 41 seasons you've been broadca broadcasting. 42, 42. 42. Four, my, my research was bad. And that's my fault. Well, I, I'd like you to take us back to what you were feeling during the first moments that you went on the air for the first time. Oh, boy. Let me tell you this. First of all, I went and I did it. When I got a call from Scotty Connell after I got fired by the Pistons, and he said, you know, I'd love you to do our, one of our very first games. He said, DePaul Wisconsin. I said, for what? He said, for a new network. I just been named the new pres uh, vice president in charge of remotes and all hiring. And he, when he was involved in production, in my last game I ever coached in college, we played the University of Detroit. We played the number one team in the country, Michigan. And they decided to televise it. It was David and Goliath. You know, it's a giant school in Michigan against these little guys down the road, little Catholic university. They don't want to play. It was during the regular season. My kids felt we were as good as them. We had beaten Marquette in February. Marquette wins the national championship two months later. We had won 21 in a row. We beat Michigan State. We beat Arizona. We beat a lot of great teams. So anyway, they televised that game. Doing the game was Kurt Gowdy. And also with Kurt Gowdy was John Wooden. And I gave a talk to my team, like a five-minute little talk about greatness and how those two guys epitomize greatness. And he asked me, he was at Lexington, Kentucky. He asked me, you know, if I would spend a few minutes with them, talk about my team. I said, sure, are you kidding me? I was on cloud nine I'm in my 30s. Are you kidding me, John Wooden? So anyway, uh, little did I know that that would make an impression because what happened was, we lost a heartbreaker. We lost in the last minute an incredible game. And bottom line is because we felt if we had beaten Michigan, we're going to win the national title. My kids felt we'll beat Marquette. We beat them in their floor. We could beat them on a neutral floor. So we were that confident. But Michigan was our obstacle, and they were good. 
Phil Hubbard, Ricky Green, and beat us, like I said, it was a game right down the wire. But what happened was I got fired by the Pistons, and he calls me up. Like, I got fired November uh, 8th, 1979. I remember that date like I do my <laughs> wedding anniversary, May 22nd. So anyway, he calls me up. He says, I want you to do this first game, and I'll tell you this. I wrote your name down. We left the arena that night. Both Kirk Gowdy and John Wooden said, we love that guy's unbelievable enthusiasm, his energy. He'd be great in TV, possibly. So I wrote your name down. And I said, look, I know nothing about TV. I'm not interested. I said, I'm not interested. I want to coach in college where I belong. So anyway, lucky for me, 10 days later, he called me back. I said, look, before I hire someone else, and my wife practically threw me out of the house. I was just moping. She said, violating everything that you preach, everything that you did, all the lectures you're giving kids and speeches, you're violating all of it. Moping around, I was watching Luke and Laura on General Hospital. <laughs> That's how bad it was. And she says, go do that game. Have some fun. I went and I did that game. If you would have told me that here it is, 42 years later, and I'm still doing games. It was the best thing that happened in my life, John, because you know why? I couldn't handle losing. Losing tore me to shreds. I learned a big lesson about my life with that. And then I'll tell you something else I learned. Through adversity, you learn who your real friends are. You can count them on your hand, basically. I'm not talking about associates. There's loads of associates. I was calling people up who I thought were friends. I couldn't even get a return phone call. I couldn't get anything about you know, looking about what am I going to do next? What kind of job? Where, and my God. And then you get on TV, and that all changes. Everybody wants to call you back. Everybody wants to. So it was a great learning experience. So through adversity, you learn a little bit. And I try to tell people, my wife kept saying this to me. You know, you got two choices. One, you feel sorry for yourself and mope and grow, crown, groan and complain. Or two, pick up the pieces and go on with your life. Well, luckily I listened and luckily I went on and it's been my best life. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's allowed me to do things with my family. When you're coaching, I cannot describe to people what it's like when you're so wrapped up with your team and about winning and losing. It just tears your heart out when you're not successful. Well, I, another thing that, that, that broadcasting has led you to do and tap into the, the what you're known for, which is your unbridled passion and enthusiasm, is your brand from – product endorsements, commercials, books, video games, and of course your roles, your many roles in TV and films. Nothing short of incredible what's happened outside the broadcast booth or, or coaching on the court. So my question for you is, aside from the V Foundation, what endeavor in this area, the endorsements and things, are you most proud of? You know, I love speaking. I love to watch this. I was with the uh, chairman of the board, the president, uh, Harry Rhodes, at my gallery recently. And I said to the people when I spoke in the crowd, it's Harry was sitting there with Lou Holtz. And Lou and I both do a lot of speaking for him. And I don't know how it came up, but I said, and Lou, to the crowd, I said, Lou Holtz is here sitting there with Harry Rhodes. If you don't know Harry, he is the chairman of the board of the Washington Speakers. And Lou and I know him well, right, Lou? I said, he's helped us make some serious dollars over the years. And he has. And they're the best speakers bureau in the world. They got a cast. They have three presidents they represent. They represent every big name you can think about, business-wise, corporate-wise, athletic-wise. And it's been a great thrill for me. So I would say 
the area I really love. I mean, I love doing combined did that commercial with Geico where pouring out water on my head there. And that was a lot of fun. But well, I had commercials with Taco Bell, Pepsi, Mountain Dew uh, over the years. And, you know, it's been incredible. I mean, when I think about what I made off the air versus on the air, it's been like a, a big difference. To be honest, with you, I've made a lot more off the air. So no pressure, but we are on the sports mentoring project and it is a uh, a passion project of mine about mentoring. Can I get a, the sports mentoring project is awesome, baby, from you? You can. I was simply wrapping up with this job. Getting, I, I got to go somewhere, but I want to wrap it up by saying this. John, you've been awesome, baby, with a capital F. You've been so prepared. If I'm on TV and ESPN, I call my guy Black and I say, Chris, the guy's been the 3S man. He's been super scintillating, sensational. And he's been awesome, baby, with a capital A. In fact, I go one step further. I'd say, Chris, he's solid goal of PTP, a prime time performer. Did a great job, John. Love being on with you. Your preparation was Vicky V, thank you for joining the Sports Mentoring Project, and we will talk to you soon. You've been fantastic. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Tell people to go to dickbytown.com and help me raise money for kids. Please do. Do it right now. Thanks, Dickie V.